Hello, and welcome to The Purpose. I'm Bill Brunson. And I'm Kip McClure. And today we'll be talking about one of the names of Jesus. And today the name that we'll be talking about is the Son of God. Our scripture that we'll read first is from the Gospel of John, first chapter, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life that was and the life was the light of all people, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. When we talk about the names of Jesus, we're familiar with a lot of those. I mean, we've talked about already the son of David and the son of man. And of course, we know that he is the good shepherd, um, that he is the living stone. Uh, there are all kinds of names and ways that he is referred to in Scripture. But the idea of him being the son of man, I mean, the son of God, well, that is probably the one that we draw on the most. Now, as we talked about in the previous episode, the, the idea of him being the Son of Man is significant because that's what connects him to humanity in such a real and powerful way that he is fully human and fully divine. But while we know we need that and while we deeply appreciate that he's willing to do that for us, it's also, well, it is his divine nature that is captivating oftentimes as we read the scripture because we see the things he's able to do and we see the miracles he's able to perform because he is the son of God. And that's a title that is given to him. Well, uh, well, it, it comes into, it's a title assigned to him before he is given any other title uh, as, as he comes to earth. In Luke, the first chapter, in verse beginning in verse 26 you have the story of the annunciation mary is a young girl living in uh, nazareth and she is engaged to a man named joseph and suddenly there is an angel named gabriel appearing to her and telling her that she is going to have a child and of course he starts off with that wonderful way greetings favored one the lord is with you and, of course, she doesn't really understand what kind of greeting that is. That doesn't sound legit, and or it makes her a little nervous. And so the next line is, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. And of course, Mary questions this a little bit, not really doubting that she's been invited by God to, to be a part of a story that has been taking place or been building since really the dawn of time. Um, Mary just simply wants to know how. And so she asked, how? How is this going to happen? Obviously, at some point, uh, Mary's mom has had the talk with her, and she understands uh, where babies come from. And um, she's not really understanding how she's going to have a baby uh, since she is the Virgin Mary. 
Um, I, I always think about when I read this passage, I always think about Jesus visiting Nicodemus at night, and he tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, that sounds great. Mom, you know, I'm a grown man, and so I don't think mom's going to go for this, um, but we can ask her. Um, of course, Jesus says, you know, you have to be born of water and the spirit and born from on high and born again. You know, it's, it's different than, than birth, uh, physical birth. Well, Mary's wanting to know about physical birth here. How's this going to be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And so even from the moment before she is even pregnant with Jesus, she's told that she will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, which is what the name Jesus means, uh, Yeshua, God saves. And she is told that he will be called the Son of God. And so the Son of God is a name for Jesus that it fully defines that other half of who he is in his ministry, he is fully divine, he is fully human, son of man, and fully divine, son of God. And so you have both of those within him as he lives and walks and moves and teaches and then suffers and dies and rises. All of that is a part of who Jesus is. It's to me very fascinating how much power. Uh, exists in this little bitty baby per square inch because we see baby Jesus and we think of how innocent and powerless he is and in, in and in human terms he is but when you go and look at the New Testament uh, he embodies the power of the Godhead and in uh, if you go to Colossians chapter 1 it says the Son Son of God, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. So, so everything was created. He was there at the creation uh, as a part of that, as part of what the Godhead was doing. Um, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. The whole of creation is held together in this little child that is born to this this young woman uh, in, in Nazareth. And so it's just amazing how, uh, how much power was there on that night when he was born. Uh, I love the the language that uh, Colossians uses about how in him all things are held together uh, because that goes back to the John passage where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Uh, we I grew up, and that everybody thought that the Word was talking about the Bible, and uh, so that it was a very confusing passage because the rest of it didn't make sense. But the word is actually, uh, in literal Greek, is logos. Uh, it means word. Uh, it's where we get the word logo. 
It's also the word where we get logistics. And um, part of the philosophy that John was trying to sort of pull in here was a, a Greek philosophy that understood that there was an underlying structure to the universe. And so John borrows that, and somewhat like what's going on in Colossians, he says, in the beginning was this underlying power, this underlying structure of the universe that holds everything together. Uh, And he says later on, and that structure became flesh and was born and is Jesus Christ. So that little baby was one of the most powerful per square inch uh, <laughs> pieces of of creation that ever that ever came to earth. And when you read John's gospel, John's gospel reads it really does read differently than the others. Uh, Matthew, uh, Mark's gospel, which was written first, is written very. It, it, it seems like it's written in a hurry, and Jesus is always on the move. Uh, Matthew's gospel is written with great. Uh, detail in prophecy and Old Testament understanding. Uh, Luke's gospel is, as Luke says, he is trying to give an orderly account. And so he's trying to give you all the information to write in somewhat a biography of Jesus and his gospel and the stories that he includes in his gospel. But John, who writes last, is what seems like his purpose is to show us the power that Jesus possesses and has always possessed and always will possess so that it is it is Jesus who was in the beginning with God and um, which allows you to to go back and to read passages of scripture and and to think about the Godhead the Trinity Father Son and Spirit always existing in unity with one another and to read passages like Genesis where it says that God has created humanity and it says male and female created we them in our image and there's a plural there's a plural nature to that and so you can go back and read and say okay some people will argue that that is the way kings speak which is kings always refer to them monarchs kings or queens or refer to themselves in a plural because because they represent or embody the nation um so it's either that or it's because God has always been God in three persons because Jesus was with God and all things came into being uh, through him and without him not one thing came into being. And so John is always p- pointing Jesus, connecting Jesus back to the beginning of all things and then bringing him forward and showing his power in very clear ways throughout his gospel that this is the Son of God. This is the one who not only knows our problems because he's the Son of Man, and he knows what it's like to be hungry and thirsty and tired. He knows what it's like to have friends. He knows what it's like to have your friends betray you. He knows what it's like to be, you know, to to suffer. He knows what it's even like to die. Um, he knows what it's like to lose someone to death. He knows all of that. And yet there's the divine side where he is able to help people deal with those things 
through his power, he is able to heal. And through his power, he's able to give hope. And through his power, he's able to give new life. And through being the son of God, he is able to give a new future for to people who thought there, that the future held nothing for them. And so this balance of fully human, fully divine, son of man, son of God, um, it's, it's a beautiful balance. But when we think about Jesus, we have to realize that the son of man side of this is the piece that he had to put on. He had to, he had to take his divinity. He had to take his power that has existed since in the beginning uh, as as John co-ops those words from Genesis, he has to take his power that's always been since in the beginning, and he has to wrap all of that divinity, all of that holiness, all of that godliness in humanity. And he does it first in the humanity of a tiny little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a feeding trough. You know, I, I've always kind of wished that I could have been a fly on the wall in heaven when the Godhead developed this particular plan. It's like, all right, humanity is bent toward self-destruction. It's proven itself this way over and over. How are we going to – we've tried a lot of things. How are we going to ultimately – change the change them how we're going to save them from themselves and it's like well you know if if the son were to give up all of the trappings of being in heaven and choose to to be born as a baby um and then would take on the form of human flesh and live as human being and suffer and die and fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, humanity could be saved. Now, that's not the plan that I would think of, but it is the one that, that the Godhead came up with. And it's amazing to me the humility of the son to say well i'll i'll happily do that because i want to see humanity saved from itself so if i can become one of them and somehow through my death and resurrection do that then then that's what i want to do that that for me is always just just blown my mind right i mean and and i think it's what prompts jesus at one point to tell the story um when he is well toward the end of his life uh, in Matthew, the 21st chapter, um, he is nearing the, the end of his life when uh, the chief priests and, and the leaders are there with him, asking him question upon question upon question. And he says, hey, let me tell you a story. A landowner planted a vineyard. He built a wall around it. He dug a pit, crushed grapes in. He built a lookout tower. He rented out his vineyard, and then he left the country. And when it was harvest time, he sent some of his servants to get his share. The renters grabbed the servants, beat them up, killed one, stoned one to death. So he sent some more servants. And, well, they did the same as they did the first time. Uh, finally, the owner sent his son. 
because he thought they'd respect him. When they saw the son, they said, well, someday, well, someday he will own the vineyard. So let's kill him. And then we can just take the vineyard. So they grabbed him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And Jesus, of course, asked who, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do? Well, when Jesus tells this story, I mean, there's all there are all kind of implications with that. That it, you know, who is the who are the renters and and what is the vineyard and all. But ultimately, along the way, God had sent he had sent prophets, he had sent leaders, he had sent many to the people of Israel, and in, he had sent many people into the world to carry carry a message of. You know, you need to change your heart and life. You need to follow my teachings. You need, I want to be in a relationship with you that's deep and real. And they were rejected. Oftentimes they were killed. And so, yeah, I would think that, I would think that there would have to be that pause among any that God mentioned this, this idea to of, so your answer is you're going to send your son. You're going to send your son into the world, and you don't think that they're going to treat him the same way. But the reality was God knew how he was going to be treated because that's the way humanity is. In and of ourselves, we oftentimes don't really go to the best places, and he knew that. And so even in that parable, the chief priests and the leaders say, well, he – He's probably going to be upset when the owner comes and he'll give the vineyard to other people so that other people will be able to raise the grapes and share the harvest. And Jesus replied, the stone the builders tossed aside is now the most important stone of all. This is something the Lord has done, and it's amazing to us. And he comes into the world as the son of God. He comes into the world as the son of man. And even though he is the son of the one who created all things, ordered all things, and will be forever uh, Lord of all things, he was rejected. And he does suffer and die. But he's now the most important stone of all. And he is the foundation on which we are called to build our lives knowing that he is fully human, so he understands our world and our life, but also knowing he's fully divine. He can help us. He can guide us. He can challenge us. He can change us. When we listen to his initial message that he picked up from his cousin John, uh, when he picks up John's message of repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, or change your heart and life because the kingdom of heaven is close, that's still the message that we are called to hear and, and to embody today, to change our heart and life, to listen to him, and to trust that the one who always was and always will be, who knows how it is to live in our world and knows what it's like uh, to be with us, but also has the power to help us and to guide us, to know that that, that Jesus, that Jesus can be our savior well that gives us the chance to make a new start it gives us the opportunity to follow a new path it gives us the uh, the power 
to throw out the old script that's been written for forever, it feels like, in our life, and to follow a new script that God is calling us to live, to make a difference for him, to find our purpose. And so I hope that this this Advent and Christmas season, as you think about the fact that Jesus truly is fully human and fully divine, that he knows everything that you go through, but he can help you and walk with you as you face that. I hope that you'll take this opportunity to find your Christ-centered life of purpose, to accept the gift that God has given you this Christmas season, the gift of his son, who came to call you to repent, to change your heart and life, and to follow him. Because when you accept that gift, then that changes truly everything. Well, thank you for listening. And we'll, you, our, next, our, our next episode will come after the first of the year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.